Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series, one by one. There will be no spoilers for future episodes in every episode that we do, except for this one, uh, which will be hella spoilery. I'm Harrison, and I'm looking into the future via my dreams. And I'm Jason, and I think this uh, Miss Cleo bullshit has to stop. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, this week we are returning to the Buffy Season 4 finale, Restless. Uh, You may have caught our original episode of it with a special guest and friend of the show, Ben Gerhardt. Mm -hmm. It was a fun, fun episode, but um, the thing about Restless is that it is a crazy, crazy episode full of foreshadowing of stuff that if you've never seen the rest of the show before, if this is your first time seeing Restless, your first way through the series, it's a, um, you may not know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, just a heads up, as Harrison said, we are spoiler filled because we are going to be talking about all of the foreshadowing in that episode of basically the last three seasons of Buffy Mm -hmm. and uh, if this is your first time going through the series uh, as much as we appreciate your love um, I would actually recommend not listening to this episode because uh, it's really fun to experience these last three seasons of Buffy as unspoiled as you can Mm -hmm. but you know if you don't care about spoilers and want to just listen to our sweet dulcet tones, yeah, thank you for thinking of that, thinking that of us, and uh, yeah, we're we're going into it. But that was your that was your last spoiler warning. Yeah, what you could do is uh, play the episode, but turn your volume down so we get the download numbers, <laughs> and then later you come back once you've seen the whole show and. Listen to it again. Just assume (laughs) that this is a good episode and like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. For the last time in season four slash season one, hit it. All right. Um... Jason, I'm going to, even though this is a Buffy episode, I did the toast on the last episode, so you should do the toast this week with our same wine we've been drinking for the last several episodes. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, there's nothing in the house, house. don't fix it. Um, No, but uh, yeah, Um, here is to um, all the people going through some tough times right now, whether it's... um, you know, Hurricane Ida, the ever-present coronavirus, um, the anniversary of 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a, a, as Captain Holt said in the uh, season premiere of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, oh, it has been a... Fuck you. It has been a... Cry if you say this. It has been a very um, tough year to be a human being. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the whole quote because I can't relate to the other two things that he says. But uh, it has been a very tough year to be a human being and you know what we're all we're all in this together mm-hmm. and uh we thank you for being here and we love you uh-huh. cheers mm. it's got a it's got an oaky oaky flavor with a nice uh under nose of brush i can really taste the wine 
<laughs> that still might be one of my favorite things I've ever thrown in a quiplash. Oh, <laughs> uh, you missed uh, you missed a good round of quiplash. We did we did some quiplash before we got into the board games, mm-hmm. and it was there's some good stuff. All right, so structure for this, um, much like most of our end of season stuff we have a list and we're gonna go back and forth um so this is list of moments of foreshadowing um starting with stuff that's just kind of silly and for fun um and leading up into ones that are like game-changing big deal things um so yeah i'm gonna start us off um, I think it's in Giles's dream that we get a bunch of lawn gnomes. Because it's right before he goes into the crypt mm-hmm. um, yeah. to see Spike doing his poses. Yep. And um, yeah, it seems like a silly sentence to say, but lawn gnomes will become important uh, during season six of Buffy, in which uh, the trio, Warren Mears, uh, Andrew wells and jonathan levinson uh hide some cameras in in a in a in a in a lawn gnome in buffy's front yard pervs yes (laughs) accurate sentence i do i do love the moment where buffy notices the lawn gnome for the first time and it's just like what the hell is that tacky little thing doing in my yard (laughs) (laughs) all right Okay, uh, next up is Spike's suit, as well as the quote from Giles that Spike is like a son to me. Uh, this is from Xander's dream. And we already kind of discussed like the whole uh, uh, Xander's strange relationship with Giles not being there anymore, and that kind of freaks him out. But uh, this, is a, this is actually a direct reference to a season six episode called Tabula Rasa, in which everybody uh, loses their memories and doesn't exactly know who they are. They can basically just go off of clues that they have. And uh, Spike is wearing a suit. Uh, how did he get that suit again? Did he, like, steal it from a dry cleaner? He stole it from a dry cleaner, but I can't remember the context of why he has to steal it from the dry cleaner. But, yes. Like, maybe, maybe something happened to his normal clothes. And, uh, and um, in... Uh, he ends up find Giles finds out that his name is Giles, mm-hmm. um, and uh, most people think that because Spike is wearing the suit that they're because re- of their accents. Oh, it's they're because of the British. accents. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, they think they're related, so this makes Spike assume that he is obviously Giles's son. And uh, at one point, they try to figure out uh, who exactly what spike's actual name is and he looks inside the suit and (laughs) finds the name randy so he's so he says like wait my name is randy giles why not horny giles or desperate for a shag giles i knew there was a reason i hated you (laughs) um just a great episode and the running bit of giles and spike thinking that they're father and son it, it's it's only second, in my opinion, in terms of comedy, to Anya and Giles thinking they're engaged. Um, I think uh, Anya only being able to make rabbits appear <laughs> is so funny. Very funny. <laughs> um, 
well, our next bit of foreshadowing is also from Tabula Rasa. Um, when they're uh, talking about uh, Xander, in the same sequence, Xander mentions a spike that's on, or a spike that's on land, a shark that's on land, and Giles, or Spike goes, and with legs, to which Giles responds with a patronizing, very good. <laughs> um, but the villain of uh, Tabula Rasa, I mean, one could make the argument that the villain of Tabula Rasa is Willow, but um, the villain of Tabula Rasa is a lone shark, and I do mean that quite literally, is a shark demon uh, in a very spiffy suit that is... Uh, oh, that's why Spike's in the suit. He steals the suit as a disguise. Ah! To, so that, uh, because it's so there unlike what he we, would we wear. Got, we, we got there. <laughs> Just like in Tabula Rasa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, these are these first three were fun. We actually had a discussion before we watched the episode Restless of whether or not these were in this episode because they were... They knew those were going to be plot points later, or if they went back to Restless to find sort of things to use as plot points when they got to these. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's still fucking fun. <laughs> you know, uh, like, we're, we're obviously going to talk about Tabula Rosa when we get to it, but uh, we were thinking, like, most funny moments. Uh, and yes, Anya only being able to make bunnies appear is great, but... That scene where they open the door and it's vampires and they all are like, ah! Yep. That's comedy gold. It's um, comedy. <laughs> um, I, sorry, I just had a vision, just had a flashback of my high school theater director. Um, he loved doing this thing and I'm going to stand up and so pardon my audio getting kind of shitty for a second, but I need to display it for Jason. Anytime he would direct a bit into a show that he thought, like, that was really funny, and then when we got it, when we got to the point where the bit worked and was really funny, he would twist his hips and go, comedy, comedy, comedy. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. It was so, and it was like, it was like, that's. That was the reaction you wanted from him because it was genuine. Like when he did that, it meant that you <laughs> nailed it. That it was fucking funny. Um, when when Mr. Bradford did his little comedy dance. Um, anyway, uh, take us on, Jason, to t- more. I guess more serious stuff now. Yeah. Um, Tara does say you don't know everything about me uh, to Willow, who has just been fawning over Tara because. How can you not? Of course. Um, and this is Tara keeping a lot of her past uh, secret from the group and Willow. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've already seen um, a couple of moments in season four where uh, Tara does something behind her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, when She sabotages that spell yes. at that one time. And um, it is because there is an episode in season six. Season five. Season actually five. Per, pretty early season okay. five. Okay. Yeah. Where we end up meeting Tara's parents. And uh, turns out that they have convinced her that all of this stuff that she... Her parents are pretty normal. And uh, all the stuff that has happened uh, to her, all the stuff that she can do, is a result of her being an unholy monster from hell. And uh, this 
let's just say it's a clear, oh my god, my parents think I'm evil because I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Um, just, in, just in case you guys missed that. Well, I, well, I should be... I mean, yes, very mm-hmm. much that. But it's also... All of the women in the family are told this lie, that yeah. they're demons. So it's very... I mean, that's there a lot. But it's also a way that the men in the family subjugate the goddamn patriarch goddamn motherfucking patriarch but fortunately this is all resolved when spike punches tara in the face (laughs) (laughs) and this causes his chip to blast him with pain and uh everybody's like oh my god you're not a demon spike can hit you and tara's like yay but also ow um yeah uh also uh first of all great episode I love that episode. It's a fucking heart warmer. Uh, also, guest starring an extremely young, pre-enchanted Amy Adams. Um, even pre-Junebug, actually. Pre-Smallville. Um, uh, <laughs> would that have been pre-Small... When was she in Smallville? Uh, Smallville premiered in... Uh, 2001. Um and her episode was later on, I believe. So it might have actually been around the same time, actually. Well, I, I don't know. It was definitely still a high school episode. I remember. So somewhere in those first four seasons, but I can't remember. It was in season one. Oh, it was in season yeah. one? Okay. Um, yeah, so maybe around the same... We uh... well, Let's see. If Smallville premiered in 2001, then it would have been a year later yeah. because our next se- season five is going to take place from 2000 to 2001. Mm-hmm. Yes. We did it. The math works out. <laughs> um, all right. Um, let's talk about Xander. Um, big part of Xander's uh, dream is returning to the basement over and over and over again. Um, and he keeps saying like variations on like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of this basement. Which is a a significant part of his arc in the fifth season is um, making solid steps towards independence. Um, He does get his own apartment. It's a really nice apartment. Well, he gets it with Anya. uh, Yeah, he yeah. Um, He also gets a promotion at his job. Um, Season five's a good a good Xander season, in my opinion. Um, Honestly, there. They're, they're all much better than the beginning of the yes. series for him going forward. With a big season six exception in uh, when he what he does to Anya. But actually, huh. what he does to Anya, what a great transition. <laughs> so yes, uh, Anya does, uh, while she and Xander are uh, riding in the ice cream truck, she does say that she's thinking about getting back into Vengeance. This is a for this is foreshadowing of the season six and seven mm-hmm. story arc. Uh, season six, well, let's see. At the end of season five is when they get engaged. Correct. Correct. It's yes. in the gift. Yes. It, end of season five. Xander and Anya get engaged. Um, Anya was supposed to die in the season five finale, but. Good old Emma Caulfield just couldn't stop twitching. <laughs> and uh, so they're like, well, I guess we have to bring her back. Um, but yeah, she does end up surviving. Um, season five. Yeah. And uh, season six, uh, the wedding does uh, move forward. And uh, it to and of course, like they both, throughout season six, they both are 
slowly having misgivings about it, illustrated perfectly in their song and Once More with Feeling. Ugh, love it. Um, and uh, this all culminates in in the merit in the wedding episode where Xander is met by his future self, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't actually his future self. Uh, nice little throwback to uh, Rick and Morty, which, ha- which is what happened <laughs> yeah. in the season finale of that. Uh, I guess a throw forward. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the end, Xander calls off the wedding. Um, and uh, this, of course, devastates Anya. Who and is, me. <laughs> who is seen, who, of course, as a vengeance demon, her whole thing was uh, punishing the uh, men who have spurned women throughout history. <laughs> This leads Anya out of anger to approach Tahofren. Love Tahofren. And, uh, yeah, just really love Tahofren. Like, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's such a fun character. And uh, she wants to get back into the demon game. Yeah. And uh, this uh, builds up over season seven, culminating in uh, an episode that Harrison actually got us to discuss for the panel. Uh, what was that called again? Selfless. Selfless. Yep, the like the history of anya episode the only anya centric episode of the series every time she like the other two i can think of she has to share like focus with is um a triangle in season five which is an anya willow episode love that episode (laughs) um and then hell's bells which is the wedding episode which is her and xander um but selfless is all about anya and, and if you wonderful. and if you ever wanted to see Buffy and Anya fight each other, it's pretty damn cool. One of my favorite fights of the series, and it because it falls into that thing we always talk about. The stakes are so personal, you know. If it was, and we're not talking wooden stakes here. <laughs> yeah, if it were, if Buffy had fought Anya as Anyanka in the Wish, who could care? I mean, we'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool, but we wouldn't be like, oh no. Anya and Buffy are in a fight mm-hmm. to the death. Uh, oh no. <laughs> like Yeah, we got so much great stuff coming. Like we've had great stuff with Anya, yeah. but we've got even better stuff coming up. My only um complaint about Selfless is that honestly after Selfless the show almost kind of forgets Anya. Yeah. She really and it's not just her. Season seven has a real problem of sidelining a lot of major characters whose names aren't Buffy and Spike. Like, yeah. Even Willow struggles with for screen time in season seven. Yeah, honestly, just everything post Dark Willow, she kind of starts to fade away. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of the Killer and Me, one of Harrison's least favorite episodes no, no. of Buffy. Least favorite. Least favorite. Hardcore okay. least favorite. All right. Um, but worse than. Worse than Go Fish. Yes. Okay. Go Fish offends me, but the killer in me offends me. Yeah, it's like, it's so different when there's an episode that's just bad, but then there's an episode that, like, something that you really like is then, put, like, made really bad. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, you know, how about the How I Met Your Mother series finale? Uh-huh. The reason that, uh... Like, there have been some bad series finales out there, but the reason that How I Met Your Mother hits so hard is because even though, like, that show just betrayed me over and over again, I'm like, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sticking with this, and 
there's some good stuff in season nine, like Christina Milioti, like and uh, and you know Barney and Robin, like eventually kind of working through all their own personal problems and getting married, mm-hmm. and then in like the finale just doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, it no, you're right. The reason that finale is so awful is because it basically says fuck you for caring about any of this. Yeah. Um. The, everything we've been watch you've been watching has been a lie, and it, it and it's grossly manipulative in the way that it undermines the the, the big thing between Barney or between Robin and Ted was that Ted wanted children, Robin didn't. They were they had good chemistry at the beginning when it was just for fun. But they were the show went to that well over and over to show us how they could not make it work long term. The, there were these fundamental differences in their relationship that it wasn't going to work out. And then the show goes, oh, but actually, Ted gets to have kids with this woman. Then she gets to die, so he gets to have Robin too, and he gets everything he wants. And it's yeah, awful. and yeah, and Ted is just one of the worst right? protagonists ever. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, we can go on and on about how much we hate How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. But, uh, And I don't want to hate How I Met Your Mother because How I Met Your Mother gave me a lot of great laughs and fun. And so... For the first couple of years. It's disappointing when that's how you look back on it. I was almost out of that show. I was almost out of that show, but a girl I was dating at the time was like, oh, let's watch this together. And I'm like, fine, I guess. (laughs) And by by the end of that, it was like season... Like, that ended with season eight. Um... And then even though I wasn't with that person when season nine premiered, I kept watching it because I'm like, well, I'm already made this far. And yeah, guys, learn to let TV shows go. Yeah. Something I... Harrison, you can't say anything. No, uh, listen, I did not watch the final season of Shameless. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I didn't watch the final two seasons of Shameless. After Emmy Rossum left, I said... I, I literally went back and forth during the break between the two seasons. And I once season 10 premiered, I was like, Nope, I was only watching for Emmy Rossum, and she's not on it anymore. I'm proud of you. You got Thank out you. of that abusive relationship. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on it, but... <laughs> All right. Um, so, another character arc. Uh, I'm going to I am gonna also say something before I say this, and I'll leave this to get in-depth into it till the end. But it's very, very interesting to me that basically every major character has moments of foreshadowing in this episode even characters who haven't appeared yet and the one character who doesn't despite having arguably the hugest arc over the next two seasons is willow Mm. there's very little foreshadowing about where willow it's all yeah willow's dream is mostly about looking back yeah Mm -hmm. and looking at the now Mm -hmm. uh with tara yeah yeah um so i just find that interesting i don't know what to make of that Maybe, um, but you know, maybe the whole Dark Willow storyline was something that they didn't know if they would have time to build to. Mm, so, okay. uh, because it is built throughout season five and obviously goes like full on in season six, obviously resulting at the end of season six with the Dark Willow storyline. So, maybe it was something that they wanted to do, but they didn't know if they'd have time to do it. At least on the scale that they were planning. I could totally believe that because 
And I, I have made, made this argument before, and I don't know that I've ever made it to you, but the seeds of Dark Willow are planted in episode one of Buffy. Um, in the moment where uh, Willow tricks Cordelia into deleting her assignment. It's petty. It's vindictive. Um, to Willow, at that point in her life, one of the cruelest things she could imagine doing. Obviously, it is nothing like flaying a man alive. alive. (laughs) But, like, that pettiness and vindictiveness in Willow has always been there. And we see it pop up. um, We see it pop up when she gets a little pissy that anyone gets to join the Scoobies. We see it pop up uh, whenever Faith's around. We see it real bad when she nearly curses Veruca. Um, I've I've made the argument that 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 has always been part of Willow's personality, but the cute I'm sweet I'm kind of shy thing overpowered that, and as she got more confident, that other side started to. So, sorry, Demi Lovato, there is something wrong with being confident. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, Giles. Um, A big part of Giles' dream is his kind of uncertainty about um, his role in Buffy's life. Yeah, it starts off with the, um, with the, uh, like, just him being uh, Buffy's Buffy's dad, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's going to be... It's interesting because season five does go in this direction of Giles maybe being like, maybe it's time for me to step out of this role until Buffy says, hey, I want to train more and like learn more about being the Slayer. And Giles kind of gets a purpose again um, after not feeling that in season four. And then season six, he leaves. Um, And... Uh, I struggle with the reasons for Giles leaving. I I disagree with them. It, it it is mostly boiling down to Anthony Stewart head was ready to ready to go. Yeah, and I wish they'd found a different way of writing him out without killing him. Because <laughs> um, I will say I spent a lot of season six really mad at Giles for leaving as I watched them all struggle through everything. And then the second he walks back into the magic box and says, I'd like to test that theory, I'm like, all is forgiven, daddy! Well, (laughs) um, there have been many people uh, involved in season six of Buffy that have said that season six, the big bad, is not the trio. It's not not even Dark Willow. It's life. It's life. And uh, yeah, and honestly, the entire point of Giles' song in... um, in Once More With Feeling is that you're not ready to face what's coming up because I've been holding you back. I've been standing in the way. Uh, it's, I, and I believe it's one of Harrison's favorite songs from the... It's... I mean, my favorite... The reprise. Is the reprise yeah. of that and Under Your Spell. But that's also because those two songs are fucking gorgeous. And... Yeah. Um, but yeah, and... It's true. Um, that there are like parents that uh, do kind of hold on to their kids uh, longer than they should. They don't let them go out and make their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there 
much bigger mistakes made in season yeah. six. Um, I think that right there, though, is my thing. It's that I think Giles is empirically wrong. I don't think okay. he, I don't think he's holding her back. I do think actually at that stage in her life, what she's going through, she needs someone there supporting her. And it's not that I don't believe that Giles would believe it. I just wish the season had grappled with that a little more mm. and leaned into the idea that this is a decision Giles has come to and a belief that he has, but it is the wrong decision and the wrong belief. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, that girl's gone through some trauma. Like, she died. Like, like, and then she was brought back to life inside of her coffin. Yeah. Um, she had to pull a kill bill and get out of there. Uh, oof, yikes. That's, I don't even have that phobia. Um, and yikes. It's, Anyway. It's not really a phobia, but it's more of like, I I try to think, every now and again I think sometimes, typically when I see like something that references being buried alive, I'm like, okay, what would I do in this scenario with like as few resources as I could? Could I get out of there? Yeah, and I think the answer is no. Probably not. But, uh, <laughs> so here's hoping I never get buried alive. Here's hoping. Um, okay, so I got a big one right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Buffy is constantly referred to as a killer when Buffy encounters the first uh, slayer, um, Senea. Uh, she says, death is your gift. And uh, I believe Tara, her vision of Tara, it says, you think you know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, the death, I'm just going to focus on the death is your gift. Yeah, um, that's the big one. Yeah. Uh, throughout uh, season five, Buffy does struggle with that message. Death is your gift. Thinking that, am I only meant to kill things? Is that the entire point of being the Slayer? But season five shows us that, like... Buffy grows in her understanding of what it means to be a slayer. It's not, it's not bringing death. It's giving your life to save people who can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. And this obviously culminates in the gift when um, it's revealed that the only way to stop Glory's plan from the world ending is to is to throw Dawn, the key, into the abyss. And uh, that'll close up the uh, close up this portal that's about to, like, devour the world. And uh, that, is that right, more yeah, or less? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, like, I'm like, God, did I just, like, summarize season two? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, kind of similar situations going on, but yeah. But, uh, but Buffy, in that moment, re like, realizes that, you know, Dawn, you might be magically made but you're still my sister there's summer's blood in here and that's when buffy realizes that death is her gift is not someone else's death it's her death and so to save her sister and to save the world one last time she jumps into the abyss and dawn is saved and the world is saved, and we see Buffy's tombstone that she saved the world a lot. I I just breezed over probably one of the most like emotional moments of the series for Harrison. And yet I'm still like oh I'm like <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I'm just like it really is. That it's so powerful. It is. And oh. I and I'm actually 
as I mentioned before, I've only watched the whole series once, and I am super excited to revisit season five because, you know, I feel like I lost a little bit of my overall appreciation for Buffy starting in season four. Fair. Um, <laughs> like, it, to me, like, seasons two and three were as good as it got. But uh, I'm very interested in seeing, like, one, now that I'm older, seeing, like, oh, here's here are more here are storylines about them being older. But also, getting to enjoy season five with you, who is, like, super into season five. Um, I love... Uh, and I, I think you're kind of like one of the proponents, of, one of the few proponents of season five out there, because I think most people forget about season five. I um, don't get. I, I no 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 no. Um, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, but uh, we did have a. Um, I used to like group of friends, uh, and I used to get together to uh, just watch our favorite episodes of Buffy and Angel, and uh, we asked uh, Harrison. Uh, to join us because I knew that he was a huge Buffy fan and uh, he picked um, the episode where Buffy first meets Glory and mm-hmm. uh, we were all like oh that's a, that's a strange choice but then when we watched we're like holy crap that episode's so good mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's probably going to be like a lot of like that from me this when we get through season yeah. five I yeah I just I just love season five so much um, but it's funny, I, I, you mentioned coming from it from an older perspective, because um, we were quite young when we watched it, and we are still quite young, god damn it. Um, but, you know, I watched the show with John, it was his first time watching it um, recently, and, you know, he was watching it for the first time in his uh, early 30s, and he struggled to connect with the first couple seasons. Mm. Um, I mean, there was stuff he liked about it, but he was just like, it's high school drama and I'm 30. (laughs) Like, um, and it wasn't until we got into the later seasons and when we got to Angel, um, in particular, where the stakes got more adult, that he had an easier time making that emotional connection, which makes sense. Like, it's just, you know, I'm, I never watched Dawson's Creek. And I bet if I went to watch Dawson's Creek now, I'd, I'd probably find it charming, but I, pr- I probably wouldn't be like, oh my God, who's Michelle Williams going to end up with? Or it, who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get it, really into Dawson's Creek. It, it's really <laughs> funny. I, um, yeah, like uh, around, it's funny because after I finished watching Buffy, that was around the time that uh, the Vampire Diaries started. And uh, Ben Gerhardt, friend of the show, got, uh, got me into watching Vampire Diaries. And, uh, yeah, there's, it's a CW show, which means that it's dripping with CW melodrama, and uh, the first few seasons do take place in high school, and I will say, while it isn't as stereotypically high school as um, early seasons of Buffy are, early seasons of Smallville are, um, it, it's still there, and don't get me wrong. I like I enjoy the melodrama, but it's definitely not something I those aren't the parts of the show that I relate to. Right. It's it's the more mature things. And thankfully with Vampire Diaries there's a lot. Oh, by the way, I um for those of you who are Vampire Diaries fans, I've been like uh I'm about to go on a tour of the uh next month I'm going on a tour of the uh town where they filmed most of uh the Vampire Diaries, like Mystic Falls. Uh it's actually Covington, Georgia. 
So, sorry. The show wasn't <laughs> filmed in Virginia. Uh, but, yeah, I, so I've been re-watching it slowly, and I went back to it, and uh, I, had a, um, I had a bit of a rough day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch Vampire Diaries, and of course... Of course, my next episode was the season three finale. Which I'm guessing which is a gut punch. It, do you remember how you felt the first time you watched the season two finale of Buffy? Yes. <laughs> that is the season three finale of Vampire Diaries. It is... It's... Actually, it's super similar because there are lots of... Um, there are lots of flashbacks for certain characters to to events that had only been alluded to and uh you see them happening then and then you also see like bits of it um kind of like almost being repeated Mm -hmm. in like the actual time but yeah that it's oh god i i want i i I don't i can't tell you anything about it because i want you to eventually watch vampire diaries i wish i am going to that's more or less all right. Um, anything else about death is your gift other than it's one of the most powerful things that ever happens on the show? <laughs> yeah, you know, just that. Um, how about you move on to our first Slayer? Yeah. Um, so we get this shot where um, in Buffy's dream where we see Senea chained to the ground. Um, and there's also discussion about how uh, Buffy's denying that, you know, Slayers and demons are anything alike. We're not demons. Um this is a big deal in season seven where we get the backstory of Senea and um, it's fucked up. It's a really fucked up story. And I, I actually still struggle with whether or not I think it's responsibly fucked up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Like, um, but essentially Senea was a young woman who was, uh, held hostage, chained up by these men who were, like, the first watchers, essentially. Or, like, the original watchers' council. And, um, w- was, uh, forcibly imbued with the essence of a demon in a way that is filmed very much like a rape. Um, uh, yeah, and we learn that the f- source of the Slayer's power is demonic. Um, and that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, it's, I don't know. It feels, it feels like the show never really grapples with that other than to be like, isn't this fucked up? And it's like, yeah. I do have to say it is a better reveal though than, um, a similar reveal done in a uh, Jurassic world when they realize that the Indominus Rex oh. is part raptor. And I'm like, I almost audibly said in the theater, like, oh, really? The dinosaur that looks like part T-Rex, part raptor <laughs> is part raptor? Oh my fucking God. <laughs> it's, well, and the other side of that, and listen, I'm going to say this as someone who does like Jurassic World, but that's that's my own journey to be on. You, you um, only like it because they're dinosaurs. Anyway. Yeah, I fucking, yeah. it's, it's, it's. I love dinosaur movies. I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's a masterpiece. You know what? I, I, I I actually, I actually kind of envy that sometimes they're (laughs) like, I can't enjoy any Jurassic park movies that aren't the original because they're 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 all mostly trash. They're all so stupid. Um, but there's like this just innocence that you have. It's like (laughs) dinosaurs. Yay. But I remember that being, 
feeling very weird about that in the theater with you because we saw that together because they were advertising that. Like, that was part of the marketing of the film. And that's like, and that's meant to be like a huge third act reveal. Yeah. So I was like, uh, okay. Uh, that did take me out. Uh, and uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like that just completely undercut like what you were trying oh, to no, make. It's, with, that's, uh, that's what we do here. Yeah. <laughs> make serious points and then make a fart joke. Um, although I guess we don't make a lot of fart jokes. They're usually really, really disgusting cum jokes. Yeah. Um, um, so Harrison, I want, I want us to swap the next one because you know more about this next thing than I do. All right, cool. So, yeah. The mud bag. And honestly, this does kind of, uh, play and kind of tail off from this last one. That wasn't the actual phrase I wanted, but I couldn't think of the words I wanted. Yeah. So there's this bag of mud that she opens and like smears all the mud on her face in Buffy's dream. And we'll see this bag again in season seven when she receives it from Robin Wood, who is the son of Nikki Wood, a.k.a. the Slayer, uh, one of the two Slayers that um, Spike Spike killed. killed. Uh, Also, just great addition to the series is the character of Robin Wood. Yes. I uh, just one, Yay! A character of color in a significant role who survives. So I believe he's played by D.B. Woodside? He is, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I actually uh, I actually knew him from something else. Really? Well. Uh, yeah, so before I saw Buffy, even though this show aired after Buffy, um, I watched 24. Oh. And um, obviously, like, a huge character in 24 was um, Dennis Haysbert, the Allstate spokesman. He was uh, President David Palmer and uh, much loved character. It's like, oh, like, that's what we want a president to be. And uh, he, um, his brother appears later in the series, played by D.B. Woodside. And his brother is like, also has the same moral upstanding as... uh, as um, David Palmer did, his name is Wayne Palmer, and uh, but yeah, that's that's where I first know DB Woodside from, and yeah, I I really enjoyed it, and um, I think I stopped watching Twenty Four before he had a lot more significant episodes, mm-hmm. so I was very happy when he shows up in season seven, yeah, because uh, he's he's a great actor, great actor, great character. It's so cool to bring in the son of a Slayer, mm-hmm. like that is just especially the son of a slayer that got killed yeah by spike (laughs) gee i wonder what sort of drama could come from this um but he gives buffy a bag that belonged to his mother um that actually is supposed to be passed down slayer to slayer but um robin was unable to give it up because for sentimental value um, and it contains um, these like shadow puppets, which actually show the backstory that uh, Jason just or I just described. Um, who who are you? Who am I? Um, <laughs> who am I? Um, and th- that's how we learn about that is because Buffy also gets like sucked into like the vision, and um, it's a it's a misgivings about the subject matter itself the sequence is cool like the way it's done um i think shadow puppetry is a really cool way of giving exposition 
Um, it's kind of like in um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yeah. Um, how they have that really awesome animated sequence detailing the story of the Deathly mm-hmm. Hallows. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking um, when I saw it in theaters, like, wow, this is kind of like, this is really weird. But the more I thought about it afterwards, I'm like, I'm glad they did that. That was yeah. really cool. The new Candyman does something similar. Oh. Uh, it recaps, essentially, the first film via shadow puppetry, which it's it's... It's smart on a lot of levels. Visually, it's interesting. Um, you're not pulling... You're not just using flashback footage and archive footage that's from a film that's nearly 30 years old that's going to be really jarring next to, you know, just film quality-wise. Um, uh, you can use new footage um, without having to deal with the fact that, like, Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd are 30 years older than they were at the time. You can just have them do voiceovers. Um, it's just, it's smart. It's, it's interesting. And it's like, and it, it tricks you into like forgetting that it's just what you're getting is really just exposition. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's giving you that exposition in an interesting way. Um, and that's the trick. I mean, that is the hardest part of writing is exposition being given in an interesting fashion. Yep. All right. All right, back to me. (laughs) Um, So, when Giles walks into the crypt, he sees Spike in there, and Spike is actually posing for a whole bunch of different photographs. uh, This scene will show up in uh, James Marster's section of the credits (laughs) uh, in the opening sequence for, I don't know, like at least a season, probably more. I'm, I'd be willing to bet it's going to show up at the beginning of, beginning of season five and stay there, remain. I, that's my that's my theory. But uh, but yes, um, the the last pose that he makes is um, arms out wide, uh, similar to a crucifixion, and this is a reference to the first episode of season seven, Lessons. Oh. Um, are you, are you actually, I think we're actually thinking of different things, but I love where your head's at. Are you referring to the scene where he drapes himself on the cross? I think that's episode two, Beneath You, where he tells Buffy he has a soul. Yes, yes, you're right. It's the, yeah, he gets taunted by all the big bads, aka the first, in the end of Lessons. Um, I can't wait to see that scene again. I'm even happy Um, to see Adam in that sequence. Yeah, like, (laughs) um, yeah, massive throwbacks, but, uh. But yeah, um, what I was thinking of, and Harrison's obviously going to chime in, is uh, uh, obviously at the end of season six, um, there's the unfortunate story of uh, Spike being overwhelmed by his feelings for Buffy. Buffy has rebuked him, rightfully so, because it's not the best relationship to be in. He And Spike does attempt to rape her, and uh, Buffy's able to fight him off. And uh, this leads Spike to leave town. And so while all the Dark Willow shit is going down, Spike is going through a, um, a strange set of trials. And it's not revealed why he's actually doing this until the last scene. It's, of, it's yeah. the last shot of season six. He has beaten all the trials and uh, the demon that has been uh, in charge of it all is like, you are now rewarded with your soul. So Spike becomes the second vampire with a soul on the show's continuity. Mm-hmm. And um, there is... 
what I immediately thought of in like Spike and Crucifix position is that in season two, Buffy finds Spike and Spike is very, um, I think Spike showed up in Sunnydale to be like, hey, I've got my soul so you can love me. But he's also like very traumatized Mm -hmm. by having a soul and coming to terms with all the shit that he's done. And uh, Buffy finds him in a church. Uh, I believe it might actually be the same church from, uh, um, like the uh, the episode where Buffy and uh, Faith switch places. Oh, maybe. Um, Not sure. It it could not be though. It could very easily not be. (laughs) There are lots of churches in Sunnydale, but uh, but probably more graveyards. No, Uh, I think there are. I think that is actually a joke at one point that like graveyards by far is like the most what is inside but uh yeah uh, spike has a beautiful soliloquy where he's basically just recounting how having a soul has made him feel and uh you almost forget to be like oh i hate you because you tried to rape buffy you have like a little bit of pity for him and then there's a point where he literally like falls onto like leans onto with his arms out onto the statue of a cross and steam starts coming mm. out off of him because it's burning and we all know like probably probably the second most iconic use of a cross in the series the first obviously being when buffy and angel kiss yeah. and uh he has like the cross necklace that he gave her has left like a burn mark on his chest yeah so that scene is so good um what one of the things that always stands out to me about that scene is that spike is wearing a blue sweater and like spike never wears blue yeah black and red are spike's colors so it's really like jarring it's very much like kylo ren it's his good boy sweater Uh, yeah um so i'm so glad you said that because that was not what was on my mind but i think it's awesome like a great thought i was i was talking about spike's uh spike sacrificing himself in ah. chosen um in the way jesus sacrificed himself allegedly <laughs> careful Harrison. <laughs> um yeah that's where i that that the christ pose for me sent me into thoughts of like sacrifice and um mm. which is what spike does yeah um and you know what i both are both both yeah. i think both both instances work to go with that mm-hmm. um yeah and uh now God, man, you give me all the emotional ones. I mean... Um, so uh, let's talk <laughs> about Joyce being trapped in this wall. Yeah. Um, there are many ways to interpret this. Um, one of which you've heard in our episode. Yes, of, how, uh, uh, how Joyce... How throughout Buffy's like first year of college, she has felt a little walled off from her mom Mm -hmm. but uh soon there will be more than just the metaphorical walling off because joyce slowly succumbs to uh what what is it is it is it brain cancer is it an aneurysm or well okay it's an aneurysm is what she dies from right she she has a tumor okay that is removed and then the aneurysm is like a complication like a like a delayed complication from yeah. the operation so um yeah so throughout season five uh 
Dawn and Buffy are very worried about their mom. She's going through like a lot with this tumor. And uh, at the same time, you have Glory going around fucking up people's minds. So obviously everybody's like, we're like, oh God, is this going to happen to Joyce? And, um, but as Harrison said, the tumor was removed. Everything looked great. And uh, at the end of the episode before, like, what is the episode before? It's, um, it, it's the light-hearted sex robot jaunt, I Was Made to Love You. Okay. Which makes yes. that ending yes. all um, the worse. Yeah, and so after that, after that, at the end of that episode, Buffy walks into the house, looks down at the couch, and sees Joyce there, and um, says hi, but then notices that her mom isn't moving. And this leads into probably probably the most well-known episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What many people have cited is not only one of the best episodes of, of Buffy, but also one of the best episodes of television. I, th- I And I'm saying that because I have seen like articles that are going through like best individual episodes of television and Becoming doesn't show up on there. Mm-hmm. Once More with Feeling may show up on there once or twice, yeah. but if they're pulling an episode from Buffy, they're pulling the body. Yeah. And maybe Hush, but... Maybe Hush, but I think but you're no, going to no, like, see the it, body more often. Yes, yes, because that is... We've talked about Buffy's pop culture significance, but I really do think when the whole series is taken into account... The episode that probably had the biggest pop culture impact is The Body. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know we're full spoilers on this, but I honestly want to just save all of our talk yeah, about The Body for when we actually get to it. Because fair. we're going to get to it next season. Yeah. And, oh, Jesus. It's going to be a rough time. It, it is. I I do want to say, yeah, we'll, we'll leave all of our talks about The Body for The Body but I was thinking about this today. Why is Joyce in the wall make me think about her death? Like, what is it about that imagery that makes me think of death? And part of it, I was like, well, it's maybe kind of coffin-like. But I realized today what it is, and it, you clued me into it uh, when we were doing our overview last week. It's because we've already seen someone in a wall being used... Um, in imagery related to death in Room with a View. That's how Dennis died. Yeah. So the show, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, it's, it, honestly, to me, I don't see how it couldn't have been on purpose. It seems way too on the nose to have been an accident. They, they took an image that we already associated from watching the previous season. Of course, it was an episode of a different Angel. show, but, um, and we associated that with death. So we see Joyce in the wall and we think maybe not consciously because it's taken me 10 years to get here, but like we think Dennis died in a wall. Joyce is in a wall. Not good. Um, Yeah. Um, But also like uh, in addition to that, I also kind of thought like how people who are going through mental illnesses, whether they be something like brain cancer or even something like um, Alzheimer's, it uh it does create this barrier between like between their real selves and what they can show to the world Mm -hmm. um so like you never 
when Joyce is going through this, it feels like you never get the full Joyce. You never get the woman doing body shots at the museum. Mm. Um, you, you, you only get like whatever can make it through this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, God, I, I think the thing that, it, the thing that just keeps coming to mind is how everybody was just asking like, Oh, did glory do something? But it wasn't. Glory. No, no. Um, it's yeah. It, uh, Joyce's death is one of two natural deaths. Uh, in the Buffy verse, let's um, let's uh, let's finish talking about this and uh, let's move on to something about somebody else's death. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Buffy's clock. Um. So I'm actually am gonna have to pull from uh two other episodes past yeah. to talk about this. But there's a scene in the episode wherein Buffy uh sees her clock and says seven thirty. Um, and she's like, oh, I'm going to be late or something like that. And Tara, as the dream guide, uh, tells her that that clock is completely wrong. Um, this is a reference to um, the season three finale. Um, Graduation Day Part 2. Yes, um, where she's dreaming with Faith. And she sees a clock that says seven seven uh, thirty, And um, I- I'm going to put this in there to help us also tie into the next thing. Faith says, uh, little Miss Muffet counting down from 730, little sis is coming. Okay. Um, at that point, Buffy had roughly 730 days, aka two years, to live um, up until her death in the gift. Um, so this reference in seeing the clock again um, is a reference back to that, but of course Tara saying that clock's completely wrong is a reference to the fact that, yeah, she has... A year has gone by. Yeah, a year has gone by. And you by. can't show 365 on a clock. Yeah. Spent, n- not without tipping your hand too far. Yeah. S- seeing her say the clock is all wrong makes you go, huh, wonder what that means. But seeing a clock that says 365, you're gonna, and she says that, you're gonna go, okay one year like what's happening in a year (laughs) exactly what's happening um so it's enough to set your radar off but i think not too much information to show your hand um there was one other instance of um buffy's death being foreshadowed in uh who are you when uh, faith is reading off the expiration date on buffy's credit card when she's ordering the bus ticket i think it is mm-hmm. um the expiration date is may 2000 um aka when buffy dies yay so, yeah, they, <laughs> so it, it seemed like uh the the plan always was for buffy to die mm-hmm. um at least what, since the end of season three what happened afterwards that's that's a whole nother story yeah um i suspect and i'll keep this short but i suspect that we end season five with Buffy's death. That's set in stone. Maybe that's the end of the series. But if not, we have a plan mm-hmm. for um for for what comes after. Yeah. All right, last one, and it's a big one. I <laughs> know. It I'm all let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Harrison has mentioned it. Uh, in most of the uh, in most of her dreams with with uh with uh faith buffy has heard faith say little sister's coming now obviously like in season three 
you're thinking more along the lines of like oh do you see like do they see each other as sisters mm-hmm. um and then uh there are several hints dropped um there's like one more hint too before restless i believe um, um i can't remember ooh. what though i don't know uh mostly because like the buffy wiki was like keeping like a running count of how many times <laughs> dawn was alluded to but then um in in uh in restless you have one you have willow's dream in which she's talking with tara and tara and and right before the uh play tara does say that um oh we have until dawn and uh then of course buffy's dream once again there's a reference to little sister and uh buffy's dream ends in the room that at the end of Buffy versus Dracula will be where Dawn is. Um, I think it's still Buffy's room though, right? No, this is this like the spare room. The spare room yeah, that will we... that will no longer be a spare room. <laughs> so yeah, this is. It really did seem like um, there's a lot of buildup happening towards this season five storyline. Mm-hmm. So I think there was like the idea that season five is going to be the end of the show obviously you look at the end of the gift and that is that's apparent they thought like okay (laughs) yeah that could be the end of the show um and then that is actually the end of the show on the wb it then moved to upn so this is obviously meant to be a huge storyline and this all leads to the introduction of buffy's sister dawn played by michelle trachtenberg harriet the spy (laughs) Yeah, and um, and Jenny in Eurotrip, uh, and the Ice Princess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't like somebody in that movie. Um, but that's a that's a story I don't need to share on the podcast. Uh, but um, the yeah, and Dawn is of course a uh, there were monks who were trying to keep an object called the key a mythical object called the key away from glorificus uh who as we see in the gift is using it to open up a portal that'll destroy everything and uh they are able to find buffy and they believe that she could be the person that protects the key from glorificus Uh, i like saying glorificus it's a great name um but uh and they think that but they think like they have to make it in a way that she would always protect it no matter what, even if she didn't know she was protecting it. Mm -hmm. And so they create Dawn reality is altered. And it seems like now Buffy's always had a sister called Dawn. How, how did nobody know that? Um, (laughs) we all not paying attention through seasons one through four. Um, and, uh, yeah. And Dawn obviously becomes, like pretty much the main part of the season five story yep. of she the gets, main season five story she gets to be on the cover of the dvd and yeah she's mm-hmm. like and she's apart from buffy versus dracula she's in the opening credits yes she so she is michelle Trachtenberg is in buffy versus dracula yes. in that brilliant final moment yes of what the fuck just happened 
But yeah, she is credited as a guest star for that episode. Wisely so, because suddenly this new character we've never seen before is in the opening credits and she's not appearing in the episode at all. We're going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. And we're going to be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I have to say, for the most part, the the people who are in charge of like opening credits and um and like guest stars they're very they're very clever yeah for the most part (laughs) about when to reveal who is in what and um like could be wondering why it's taking amber benson so long to be in the opening credits you know what let's not let's not bring that up let's not talk about that because we didn't we don't need to reference that i'm sorry that i did uh but oh god damn it um I want to say something about Dawn. All right. And I'm putting myself out there. I'm, I'm right here with you. I like Dawn. Yeah. I do. So, and, I... you know, we're talking about, while we're on the subject of pop culture significance, <laughs> um, obviously a uh, term that is used quite frequently when describing TV shows is jumping the shark. It is the, for those of you who aren't familiar with TV lingo, it is a reference to um, a season, the season five or six, I can't remember which one off the I top of my know. head, premiere, uh, like the three-part premiere of Happy Days, in which Fonzie is challenged by a douchey California um, surfer to jump a shark in water skis. And of course, the Fonz doesn't like the Fonz doesn't turn down a challenge, especially when somebody's questioning his toughness. So, Arthur Fonzarelli in water skis, as well as his infamous, as well as his famous leather jacket, does in fact jump over a shark. Now, obviously, this is used as stock footage of <laughs> sharks, um, but um, this is a reference to the fact that many television shows have moments where they stop being it's basically just like a what the hell moment and then from then on it's hard for the show to regain the reputation that it had yeah but it's defined specifically by the it's the moment where the writers were out of good ideas yes and i will i i want to put a little uh because well you're gonna say because for a lot of people the introduction of john is yes the jumping throwing in a sister that Buffy never had before and the way that she was thrown in just like out of nowhere I mean obviously eventually her story is explained I believe rather well I agree um and uh but many people and also many people kind of associate Dawn with just a return to like the high school stuff um a lot of people don't like Dawn because she's the little kid while everybody else is like She's your cousin Oliver, um, <laughs> which is a Brady Bunch. Yeah, that's yes. the Brady Bunch. Yes, uh, but yeah, there. Yeah, there's like, um, but yeah, there is a lot of hatred towards Don, and I can understand like, on a first watch through, maybe thinking like, especially after season five, because um, season six bear, does not do any favors to Don no. whatsoever. Um, <laughs> But I do think that we eventually get a few episodes like Conversations with Dead People mm-hmm. and like, um, what's it called? Is it is it just... Uh, potential. It is called Potential? Okay. Yeah. That's we do get a couple episode. of episodes 
that focus on Dawn that can show like what potential she yeah. has. Uh, but but I think yeah, I think she's a I think she is a a good character that had a bad season and gets an overall bad rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I'm gonna throw in him in there as well because yeah. technically, great episode. Dawn's Dawn. kind of like the. <laughs> Dawn's kind of like the main character of the story, despite the fact that all of the female characters get a chance to shine yeah. in hilarious ways. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, listen, Dawn's never going to make my list of absolute favorite characters, but I think her reputation as being the worst is unearned. Yeah. I, I do agree that season six doesn't do her a lot of favors, but I also think a lot of people are like, really dismissive of the trauma that Dawn has experienced that causes her to react in these ways. Um, which I'm like, okay, like, why don't, why don't you try finding out that you're actually a mystical key that was then kidnapped and tortured into opening a gateway to destroy the entire world. And the only way that that could have been stopped was either your death or your sister's death. Oh, guess what? It was your sister's death. Oh, also, my mom died. Also, my dad never is never around because he's a real piece of shit. And, like, like, and now I'm being raised by my by my sister's gay best friend. So. Yeah. Uh, well, like, that part sounds that's great. That's cool. Yeah, um, that's cool. But now my sister's back from the dead and she won't talk to me about it. She, and and there's a vampire that's just totally fucking a robot of my sister. Yeah. And then starts fucking my actual sister. Yeah. There's a lot going on for Dawn, okay? I'm just saying we all need to have more space for Dawn and have exactly no space for Connor. And you know fuck what? Uh, yeah, fuck Connor. Uh, but you know what? what we're i think one thing that we should strive to do in season five and throughout the rest of the show actually paint dawn in a good light yeah justice for dawn yeah i oh no i i and i fully intend to be very pro dawn i will probably i will be like that doesn't mean that we won't point out like flaws flaws and times that she annoys us like there may be times when we just say uh dawn uh you know maybe maybe the words get out will be uttered. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> that, yeah, we're not, we're not just going to be blindly pro Dawn, but we're also not going to shit on Dawn, I think, the way that a lot of people do. And I hope that if you are a Dawn shitter, that you will, <laughs> you will listen to our thoughts with an open mind and perhaps take a Dawn laxative. All right. That'll just make you shit more. This has gotten away By the way, us. like, Dawn shitter just makes me think of somebody who waits until the crack of dawn, and that is when they take a shit. That is it's their only job for the day. time to shine. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, man. But yes, all that stuff is to come, and some of it very soon. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it, unless there's something else you want to discuss. Um, you know, I, I was going to... I mentioned that I was going to talk about the lack of willow foreshadowing but then we just did it yeah. in the moment so uh, but i just think that's interesting um i i have i have thoughts about willow being so and, and i don't know if this is on purpose but like willow being pow- uh, so powerful that she resists certain magics um for instance that's kind of my reasoning in my mind of why willow sings so little in once more with feeling is that she that's how powerful she is at that point that she she has the most resistance to it 
Um, and now that Allison Hannigan is bad yeah, at singing. There was, there was a very obvious behind-the-scenes reason for it. But of all the characters, because they are revealing their secrets, and outside of Buffy, Willow has the biggest goddamn secret with what she's doing to Tara at the time. Yes. Um, and it doesn't come out via a song from Willow. It comes out via... Tara finding Tara out. Tara doing some scooby Doing. Um which awesome for Tara, but I just, I find that so interesting. And that's always kind of been my like reasoning in my mind. And because yeah. Sweets does kind of reference to it when Willow says something to him and he's like, oh, she's powerful. So it's always been my mind. Like she's resisting it. Yeah. I think she says like, get out when, um, yeah. When like, uh, like after Buffy reveals like the whole, I was in heaven thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's all I wanted to say about Willow. But, um, I would love to hear from any other listeners about any foreshadowing that maybe we missed. Yeah. Um, or, you know, interpretations of mm-hmm. just some of the things that happen and it don't have to necessarily be spoiler filled. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily have to be like looking ahead to the next few seasons. They could be just um, observations about Restless that uh, you made that we didn't or uh, you ours that you disagreed with. Yeah. It's a jam-packed episode and it's impossible I mean, we're doing two episodes about it. Yeah. And I still feel like we probably missed some shit. So, mm-hmm. um, love to hear that. But you know, what all this talking about Restless and stuff to come has made me really excited for our next season. Yay! Well, what a great transition, Jason. That's <laughs> why I'm here. Thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy, the end of Buffy season four and Angel season one for Woo! real officially. Yay! Um, as always, we're going to take a bit of a hiatus because we earned it. Um, should probably like also make a post on our social media that we're taking a hiatus oh, yeah. for people who don't listen to the, this episode. We'll do. We'll do. That's a good call. Um, but we'll be back October 21st, four weeks from now. Five days before my birthday. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Jason. Uh, well, your birthday present will be Buffy season five, episode one, Buffy versus Dracula! And that is the actual name of the episode. I'm not fucking with you. I remember when I borrowed uh, Ben's DVDs and I'm like, I looked at them like, are you serious? I ha- I feel like Buffy I had versus the, Dracula? I think I had the same reaction when I saw it on Netflix. And you know what? I'm gonna say this. Uh, especially as two people who don't really care for Dracula, um... We, we appreciate what it's done for the canon, but we don't really care for the novel or most of its adaptations. Um, I think it is a huge swing for Buffy to say, fuck it, yeah, we're bringing in Dracula. And I think it's a successful swing. Yeah. It's interesting that you say, like, uh, our opinions of it. I am willing to give Dracula one more shot. I've read it a couple times. <laughs> no, no, I, no, no, no. No, I know. Let I, me just The way you said it, it was just like, it's like I, it's an X that I've you're like, it, oh, we'll give you one well, more chance. Well, here's the thing. I've read it a couple of times. Uh, I read it, uh, I'm trying to remember. I actually don't think I read it in high school. I think the first time I might have read it might have been like late college. Mm-hmm. or um, And then I've read it a couple of times for book clubs that I've been in. <laughs> uh, but oh. I did, I've recently been listening to... Uh, audiobooks on audible and they have um they have a lot of classic novels that are read by um celebrities that i really enjoy uh a couple of my favorites have been 
Anne of Green Gables, read by my future wife, Rachel McAdams. And uh, I just finished listening to Frankenstein, read by Dan Stevens. Hot. Uh, which was awesome, because uh, so I love Frankenstein, and Dan Stevens is awesome. He's He's a, he's a good looking man oh my God. but there is a there is a Dracula that they do have a reading of Dracula that is read by Tim Curry oh um, so that is actually enough that I'm probably gonna wait until October but that actually is enough for me to give it one more shot and see like maybe the story will have a little more bearing on me if I have it in a new medium but still the original story not the adaptations that have been made of it and you know being read by a man whose voice I am probably in love with. Yeah. <laughs> Smashing. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm Jason, by the way, not <laughs> Tim Curry. Um, you can find me on Instagram at yamij357 and on Twitter at just plain old yamij. I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's spelled C-O-F-F-M-A-N. I also write a blog, horrorbyharrison.blogspot.com, where I write a diff- write about a different horror movie every week. I write a different <laughs> horror movie every week. God, I wish. Uh, <laughs> if I could, if that were my output, I'd, okay. Um, I forgot to look my look at the schedule before we started the recording, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, my upcoming post will be on Juwan 2. Oh. Um, I did Juwan last fall. Um, so now Juwan 2. There you go. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. In all of those instances, the and is spelled out A-N-D. No mm-hmm. ampersands for us. No ampersands for us. Because it was not universally recognized across all of the different platforms. That is accurate. Yep. I went through, we went through a lot of, like, we've, there's a lot of, like, unused Booze and Buffy Gmail accounts out there <laughs> where I was figuring out which ones would work across all the platforms. Please don't forget to subscribe to us and to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Podcatcher of chores. <laughs> As always, go slay and be gay and pronounce words. <laughs>